Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations like yours raise more money and achieve greater success at your fundraising events. Today's episode is brought to you by three sponsors, uh, the good folks at Winspire, the industry leader in providing unique, one-of-a-kind consignment travel packages for your fundraising events. Now, what I love about working with Winspire is that these packages come to you with absolutely no risk attached. You don't pay Winspire a penny until you have made money on uh, on your side. And for information on how uh, these uh, packages work with Winspire, go to winspireme.com to learn more. Uh, the show is also brought to you by our friends at Donation Match, your one-stop shop for event donations and what we call give back opportunities. Now, Donation Match, they connect your cause with local and national companies who are willing to donate products or services to your fundraising event. You can sign up for free right now at donationmatch.com. And finally, uh, the last sponsor, yours truly, Danny Hooper. I'm a certified benefit auctioneer specialist uh, based in Victoria, up in Canada there. I'm uh, the author of a book, a best-selling book called Easy Money, How to Generate Record Profits at Your Next Fundraising Auction Event. And you can find a copy at Amazon by searching Danny Hooper or go to dannyhooper.com. Well, today we talk to one of the top auctioneers in the business. Her name is Renee Jones. She's the founder of a well-known company and uh, a company that continues to grow almost daily called National Fundraising Solutions. She's absolutely brilliant, and we know you're going to enjoy the interview. Uh, Ian, what did you think? Yeah, Renee Jones, a good friend of mine. We, uh, we actually met last year at the, uh, the RAISE conference in, uh, that BidPal puts on, now One Cause, and she has just a wealth of knowledge. She, uh, if, <laughs> you have to stop her from uh, continuing to talk because she has so much that she wants to share with you. She's so passionate about the nonprofits that she helps, and she has kind of taking a step away from um, almost doing auctioneering to doing more just consulting. She spends a lot of time with nonprofits prior to their events, really telling them uh, and advising them not only about the auction, but about the whole flow of the event and exactly, you know, how to engage with those donors and really turn them into, uh, into uh, you know, advocates for your cause. So lots of great information here today. Just stick with us. That was Ian Locke, the Vice President of Fundraising here at Winspire, and our other partner is Renee Zhao. It was Renee's idea to create this podcast, Events with Benefits, and she's also the founder of Donation Match. Renee. Sure. Uh, so the other Renee, Renee Jones, uh, like everyone else said, had a lot to say. I think uh, this is an episode you're going to want to sit in front of with a notebook. She really goes over every single aspect of events and auctions. And I really like the fact that she has her consulting services available all over the country. She travels. She can see the perspectives of organizations, not just in one city, but, you know, uh, from all sorts of size, all sizes, locations. I think, you know, that that general ability to really get the big picture is really helpful to us all. Well, she certainly is an auctioneer. You'll identify that very quickly. She's a fast talker. She 525 words a minute with gusts to 750. Let's uh, <laughs> let's say hi right now to Renee Jones, founder of National Fundraising Solutions. Renee Jones, it is so good to join you once again today. Uh, you and I have crossed paths at a number of the Benefit Auctioneer Summits, and uh, I've been looking forward to this interview. Maybe we'll just start off today. I know you're the founder of a great company called National Fundraising Solutions, um, but let's just start with a little bit of your background, and maybe you can tell our listeners something about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show and the program. It is true. We have crossed paths many of times as we're continuing our education in the nonprofit development world. Uh, but my background, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. Um, I have actually had the same job technically since I was in junior high. I grew up in and around the auction industry. I have been an auctioneer for more years than I care to admit. Uh, and I've had an incredible opportunity to work both in the for-profit and nonprofit world. A lot of cross-pollinization between the two. Um, but I'm an international champion auctioneer. I'm a certified uh, event specialist. I work with nonprofits around the world in developing and growing and sustaining healthy growth in their special events, be that could be a cake sale for the Cub Scouts, or it could be a golf tournament, or it could be a black tie gala with a thousand plus guests. Uh, it's just, you know, each and every one of them are equally important. Sometimes our smaller events are even more important. They're servicing one individual in need or a community in need. And then when we get into our larger scale events, they, they benefit and who they benefit, it's immeasurable. Um, 
the change that we're bringing that's positive to the world each and every day. Well, Renee, you know, I've, I've seen you speak at uh, the Benefit Auctioneer Summits a number of times, and, and you have such a depth of knowledge and experience. I, I mean, what would you like to talk about today? I mean, where do we start? Uh, you've, you've, you're the founder of your company, National Fundraising Solutions. I know that you offer an A to Z service to your clientele, but uh, uh, what's important to you and what message would you like to share with our listeners here on Events with Benefits? You know what? I feel like this is the start of a series. We have so much to talk about. The benefit world is ever-changing, and in the nonprofit world, whether you're sitting around a kitchen table with your friends planning your next child's school event or you're working with a development team to enhance an event, I think that there's things that we can look at that are most important in what I'm seeing in trends in the industry. And I think one of the things that we've always been concerned about, but now we look more to with the change of tax laws and the structure of nonprofits and galas and being under scrutiny, is how can we best bring in new supporter store organizations and retain dedicated supporters, not only to special events, but year-round advocates for our, our organization. And one of the things that I like to look to with my development professionals and parents and volunteers that are working on recruiting and finding and sustaining development and growth in their organization is to look directly to the board and the engagement of the board. You know, I know that so many people that are listening to this podcast right now have already kicked back and said, I would love to have a board that's engaged. I'd love to have a board that actually read my development report or supported the grants that I'm trying to tackle or would at least buy a table at my event instead of just a seat or two at the table for a gala. You know, it's really about educating them in the importance of their position and being an advocate to the organization and not necessarily, quote, unquote, just a board member. You know, to me, I look at board members, VIPs, and underwriters to be advocates for an organization that are an untapped resource for the most part year-round. You look to these people to attend special events, but how are they providing outreach and advocacy to the nonprofit organization year-round? And it has to be spoon-fed. I'm not going to kid you. I'm on the board of three nonprofit organizations, and you start with eliminating apathetic, older, disengaged board members, and you look to bring in new. Or if you cannot convert that old board member to embrace technology at an event, consignments at an event, how do we defibrillate a special event? How do we bring in new underwriters and sponsors? You need to find someone that will advocate for you. In the special event realm, You know, we look to reaching out to the board member in the development stages of a gala or a golf tournament or any kind of luncheon special event. The idea is what does that board member like to do? Translation, how do they like to spend their money? And so by putting a professional auctioneer and a event consultant like myself in front of the board, even for 10 minutes in a board meeting, I ask very important questions. The idea is that I want them to visualize the special event. How do they like to spend money at an event? How do their friends like to spend money? I always like to ask, you know what, if you had $10,000 to spend on a trip, where would you like to go? If I have 10 out of 20 board members that tell me I'd like to go to Italy in a short survey that I've asked them during a board meeting, then I know I'm not going to go look for resources to get a trip to Fiji. I'm going to try to appeal to the audience that's in front of me. And you can scale the survey to fit your organization best, meaning that if $10,000 would be your largest package in the live or $5,000 or $2,500 or $1,000, you're still asking the same question. If you have $1,000 to spend on your family at at a special event for this organization, what would you like to see? Is it an experience with chefs? Is it principal for the day? Is it front row for eighth grade graduation or kindergarten graduation? I mean, you look to your organization and what are the hot items that you can sell, you know, in solicitation of smaller items such as gift cards, instead of creating what I would say is a a garage sale mentality by having too many items and people looking for deals is create scarcity. It's very important to consider how many people are attending an event because many times they ask, what size silent auction should I have? Well, not only are we looking to bring in the items that your core supporters, underwriters, and board members want to buy, but we want to have it in a number that creates scarcity 
encourages conversation and advocacy and discussing the mission and the vision in the pre-function hours before we go and sit down for a shared meal. And so, you know, you look to creating ways to maximize revenue. There's so many ways that you can make things work in an event to raise more money, increase revenue, and reduce costs. But it starts with the advocacy of your board, your executive committee, people that have been long-term supporters, meaning previous chairs of special events, previous board members, previous people that worked within the community as volunteers for the organization. We want those people front line and center at a special event to advocate for the organization and educate newcomers to special events and to the cause itself. Renee, what are some of the ways that you can prune uh, board members when that board needs to be pruned. And I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, I think we, we I'm sure that most people would agree. Let's just talk about a fundraising auctioneer. Most people would agree if you're going to have a fundraising or benefit auctioneer, uh, benefit auction, it makes sense to have a professional benefit auctioneer, somebody who knows what they're doing. And yet, uh, even though it's a sound idea, that idea can be poo-pooed and vetoed by one naysayer on the board who happens to sway a lot of influence. So, um, you know, I know in your business, just as I do, you run up against this all the time. And how, how do we work around that? You know, it, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's an easy workaround. I think that I'm seeing more and more a trend in the industry where the board is, is wielding more power than the executive director and the development director sometimes when it comes to making these decisions. Um, I, I try to, in my proposals, discuss important key factors that to why you should bring a professional benefit auctioneer on board. And many of it has nothing to do with the you know, bid calling or the chant, as they say. You know, you're seeking a professional that looks like your audience that mirrors your audience, that understands the demographics, socioeconomic, and all other means as to who is sitting in this audience. How do they, are they relatable? And so for me, many times with proposals now, you know, we create an auctioneer bio that explains that this auctioneer is licensed. This auctioneer holds these designations. They're licensed in these states. They've represented these clients. Because many times you have to settle the anxiety, because many, I say many times, many times in this conversation, because you try to be politically correct when you're dealing with a board, because they do wield a tremendous amount of power over our development leaders and team members and volunteers. But to, to prune those naysayers out is that you have to show them by the number. And statistically, we can show by engaging a professional benefit auctioneer that events not only run on time, they're typically under their time. Many times speakers run over, auctioneers know how to re-engage the audience and bring things into focus, maximize revenue, and get it done in a timeline of two to three items per minute. But the key to eliminating the naysayers is educating the board. I would encourage other professional benefit auctioneers that are listening to this podcast today is to work to reach out to individual board members prior to events and sometimes prior to engagement. I always encourage the auctioneers on my team to visit, whether it's a school, a hospital, uh, any form of nonprofit organizations, main offices or shelters, anytime it's appropriate to be able to visit in person and make the time investment to understand the mission and vision of the organization. Now, what I'm asking the auctioneer to do is many times what an individual board member has not done or has not done in years. So there's a disconnect between development and the individual board member as to what is important. What are the trends? You know, if we're dealing with a consignment item that can be sold multiple times, you know, and enhance the revenue of an event, uh, tenfold sometimes. I mean, this year I've sold multiple packages, uh, but the idea is that having a professional auctioneer that can understand uh, the increments of bidding and the speed that this needs to be accomplished, the board needs to be shown constantly uh, that the service that we provide is uh, it's an investment and not an expense. Exactly. For board you know, members, 
I, I've often oh, said, sorry to jump in there. I've, you know, I've often thought that if you were to breed the perfect auctioneer, uh, the dad would probably be an all-star quarterback and the mom would be a world-class psychologist. Yes. Yes. It's perfect. You know, I look at it when I'm brought into events, I, one of the first questions I say is, who do I need to convince? Right. And years ago, I, I didn't have really the courage or knowledge, probably, uh, to make that one of my first questions, but it never failed. I can be the dream auctioneer candidate for a special event for the development and for the executive director or CEO. I can sit down for an interview with the board, and I can tell I have two people at the table that aren't even listening to me because they would prefer their husband stand up and, you know, work on his comedy act and burn 20 minutes of the timeline um, and really raise minimal funds for the organization, or they've got a friend of a friend of a friend that should do it because they did their child's preschool auction five years ago. And also, um, also there, that person's going to do it for free. Many times. And free is very expensive. Free is very it expensive. Is- yeah, you know, I, I I always say, you know, I, I've said it many times that uh, the difference between, uh, you know, a local celebrity doing your auction, which is never a good idea, or having a, a livestock auctioneer or auto auctioneer come in simply because he or she have offered to donate their time uh, versus having a certified benefit auctioneer specialist do your auction. The big difference is, you know, when your livestock auctioneer comes in, he or she is trained to sell that one item and get as much money as they can for the item, and then it's very quickly on to the next item, whereas a fundraising or benefit auctioneer walks into the room and says, all right, how much money is in this room, and how are we going to get it? How are we going to capture as much of that money as possible? What are some of the strategies, techniques, and tools that you use, Renee, uh, when you are actually the, uh, the auctioneer at an event? Well, there's several, uh, but to cover a few and to also touch upon what you brought up with regards to local celebrities and the meteorologists, I don't predict the weather and he doesn't know how to bid call. But any time where I get that pushback from a board is that I always encourage that individual and they usually will embrace it, uh, the meteorologist, the sportscaster, et cetera, for them to read the descriptions and, and interact with me in a supporting role and allow me to do the bid calling and maximize the revenue that's gained from the audience during that time. Um, I think it's very important for, for me to explain a typical night uh, when I'm at an event or evening afternoon event is that, you know, I arrive typically an hour and a half to two hours in advance. I conduct a sound check. I meet with the staff and the volunteers and or uh, support teams that are handling the check-in and check-out. I understand the flow and the experience that the guest is going to have, whether that's a self-parking experience and a long walk or a valet that may have been delayed. I look at all the pluses and minuses that can happen throughout the evening. Inside the actual ballroom and the tables of 10, et cetera, for a seated meal, I work to ensure that I make contact Uh, With the majority of the tables, starting at the designated underwriting and sponsorship tables, I introduce myself uh, to people. For the board that I have met previously, typically in a pre-function meeting or an interview, uh, one of the things that I ask for is that during the pre-function that they introduce me to uh, new guests, key guests, uh, key supporters, uh, to where I can have a direct one-on-one interaction with them prior to the stage. The stage can be very overwhelming and it creates an instant distance. So anytime I can visit with attendees prior to my portion of the program, I do. I'm very big on thanking uh, bidders and backup bidders during the auction. Uh, I'm an advocate for the organization when I'm on stage. So it's very important for people to see me as the ambassador and the voice and that's why everything that I speak and, and mention is vision and mission driven for the organization. Most of my clients, it's really funny because I had an experience where for two years I didn't get hired for this particular event. And I finally called the executive director and I said, you know what, you, you've attended this gala for two years and I just don't understand. You see, you know, the services that my team and I provide is there a reason why you haven't hired us? And she goes, I thought you worked for the organization. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the auctioneer. They bring in as a special consultant. And since then, now I've done their gala and their event. But 
that's that's a it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I, I've really looked forward to doing their event for many years, but I could never understand why uh, there was a disconnect. And finally, I found out that I was probably doing too good of a job. But I want it to be when I'm on stage that you know nothing is read from notes. When I walk onto the stage, I know the social math, meaning I understand the programs, the participants, and how it benefits the community, large and small. And so, you know, you can't phone this in. Contract auctioneers that look to nonprofit events as an easy mark and an easy way to make a, uh, some extra bucks, uh, they offend me because the reality is, is that their heart is not in the right place. And, uh, and they're looking for a paycheck where, you know, typically a certified benefit auctioneer, someone who specializes in nonprofit fundraising, they're vested year-round. Um, and it's a fair question to ask when you're interviewing an auctioneer is, what do you normally sell? How long have you been an auctioneer? Are you a licensed auctioneer? Do you carry insurance? I mean, these are all things that are very important that a development uh, development professional, a parent, or an event planner has the right to ask of us. And and not necessarily ask for references. Ask what, what, for me, I always say, they say, well, can you provide references? Well, of course I can. But when in your lifetime have you ever experienced someone giving you a bad reference? I mean, it's going to be someone that loves them. And I always just say, ask me for my last five clients, my last five events, good or bad, I'm going to give them to you. Because I want people to have an experience and a conversation with someone who just hired me, that took on that risk and, and nausea to interview a bunch of auctioneers that told them how great they were and then to hire me. Why did they hire me? And then I like for them to visit with someone who's used me for three to five years. Why do you stay with her? Why did you originally hire? And then for my clients that are 15 years plus, I want my new potential client to say, why is she still with you? Very good. I'm going to ask you some direct questions here. Silent auction, how many items? Typically for a silent auction, I would go with 10 to 20% of the total guest count, meaning if, it, if you have 100 people, 10 to 20 items, and it goes up from there. I would never, even for an event that has over 1,000 people, go above a 10% range because, again, it is about uh, scarcity, a sense of urgency, and maximizing the bids in, in as quickly timeline as possible. Live auction. How many items in the live auction? Ideal for a live auction, uh, typically five to eight. Ten is pretty much pushing it because what you need to do when you're looking at your timeline is take into consideration that it takes two to three minutes to sell an item. It doesn't matter if it's a $250 whatever or XYZ this for $10,000. The same amount of time is needed to sell it. Next question. Best time to have the live auction Supposing that we're at an evening event, where do we put that into the agenda for the night? We put it in before the awards. Uh, always put it in. So the goal would be pre-function, seated for dinner, uh, plates, uh, main course down, live auction start. So you would have a welcome, allow people to chew their salads, move into, you know, if there is a, a vision, a video or someone to speak, conduct the fund and need, the live auction and then allow then for your celebration of accomplishments and recognitions and entertainment. Earlier, the better, because the idea is that there is an alcohol bell curve consumption that you have to take into consideration, and then also because more and more people are not staying for the entertainment. We want to get the fundraising done as early in the evening as possible to allow for proper accounting, auditing, and early checkout and departure of guests. During the, uh, uh, well, during the evening, if we're having a paddle raise, fund an item, cash appeal, whatever you, it's, it's going to be called uh, by any organization, where do we have that before or after the live auction? I'm a strong advocate on having it before the live auction because the evening is based upon the mission and the vision of the organization. And so you typically have a kickoff, a conversation, um, you know, typically you would have somebody that would be uh, recognized as, as someone that's a part of the program or we're making a pitch for a new playground, whatever that is. There's an incredible level of exclusivity to any live auction, no matter what size the event is. And so to maximize the revenue and stay mission, vision, focused, I always say conduct the appeal, the paddles up, the fund and need, whatever we want to call it 
prior to the live auction. The person that can buy anything in the live auction is going to donate because those dollars do not cross-pollinate. They already have a budget set that they can donate, whether that's $10,000, five, dollars $1,500, et cetera, or bid in the live auction. They don't cross-pollinate. They don't compete against each other. But what happens is that if you conduct the live, I've typically lost approximately 80 to 90% of the audience because of the exclusivity, and they'll never get a bid in. And so now we have to bring them back after we've had these wonderful experiences and these wonderful trips. Now I'm going to tell you about the social math that's needed for our project for this shelter, this children's program, this food bank. It, it just sets the wrong tone now. It used to be where it didn't matter. We could conduct the live and the fund and need, but now we really want to maximize the donations that we can receive early in the evening because we can always conduct a live and say, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we're so close to our goal. You can always do a little mini cash appeal. If you're utilizing mobile bidding technology, you can send out a text that says, help us take us over the top, even if we've already gone over the top. You know, if you feel like there's money left in the room. But usually if you conduct the fund to need, and I'm happy to visit with anyone on this podcast individually to discuss it because we have 17 years of statistics and over 5,000 events that this has been conducted this way. And on average, we're getting between 17 and 30% more in donations than if we conducted it after the live. Uh, trends that you're seeing in the industry right now, and let's start with the live auction. Are live auctions dying off? Live auctions are very viable. We're just changing the dynamics of what's in them because we are visiting with our board underwriters and major contributors to these special events to find out what best appeals to them. So again, the auction may be getting smaller, three to five items or five to eight items where we might have had 10 in the past, but we're shifting two over to a raffle or some form of other kind of game. But live auctions are viable. We just need to look at what we're selling. People are not drawn to what I would consider average items now. They're looking for unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunities and experiences, whether that's trips that integrate different, you know, one of these types of events that, you know, event within an event that you normally would never see or have an opportunity to experience. And so that could be a Uh, you know, a villa with cooking or this or that or a wine tasting where you have this opportunity to go stomp grapes. There's all these different things that are going on. But the idea is about capturing that memory and having that experience versus sometimes a tangible item. I mean, cars are out. uh, They're hard to secure. They're too expensive. You're still dealing with tax ramifications from them. And it's not a personalized thing. Most people are looking to something that they can secure and personalize for themselves, their spouse or their partner. Uh, many times on smaller scale, we're still looking at experiences being a parking space at the school, first in line for pickup, you know, first row to anything, front row to anything, uh, experiences, you know, like cooking classes with the priest. Again, experiences versus things. People are becoming less hoarders of things, and they're looking for something that builds a memory that they create and, and retain in their heart. I love it. Renee, this is Ian uh, from Winspire. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you handle consignment packages. I know one of the best uh, or one thing that we like to talk about you know, is, is the benefit of selling multiples uh, and, and why that's such an effective tool. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you handle that and, um, and what are the, some of the benefits you've seen? Sure. I am, a, I am a strong believer in consignment packages. And that sounds so strange coming from a, an auctioneer. I enjoy organic packages. I don't want anyone to ever believe that I don't appreciate the effort that goes into the hours and days to secure these packages. But here we are in 2018, and we're in a, in a time where it is almost impossible, even with the best of time management, for people to grow organic packages, meaning securing the hotel, the airfare, the ho- you know all the different things that go into building an experience. And that's when I turn it over to the professionals. And, and the reason why I say that is that after we have vetted a board and we have vetted a, you know, sometimes we can cr- create surveys post gala and we know what people are looking for up to a year in advance, is that then we find 
you know, the best packages. And maybe we only have one to two in an auction of three to eight items. But these are items that time-wise are strong investments. There's a cost associated with them, yes, but when you're utilizing a professional benefit auctioneer, we know how to maximize those dollars. We understand uh, the price of the package and then what our goal is to exceed cost and typically create it to where we are generating uh, 50% above cost on average, if not more. There's some packages based upon availability and just the interest of our audience that can become very, very large profit centers for us in the live auction. But what is amazing is that you can have a package that has a cost of thirty-five to four thousand dollars that we're selling for eight, nine, ten thousand dollars. And with a professional auctioneer and professional ringman bid assistance on the floor, is that we can sell that package multiple times to our guests because guess what? We have inventory. We can do that. Where with an organically grown package. Many times we have incredible restrictions, whether that's dates, availability, like if it's a, you know, if I think of a, a home in Aspen or a home in Park City, it's only available in the summer, then I need to take off 70% of the value because I'm a skier. And that's my way of thinking when I am a guest. And so when we turn to consignment packages and building experiences for travel is that that's what's so important is we're finding the package that's right for our audience and then we have the opportunity to sell it more than one time so if the package has a cost of four thousand dollars i'm selling it for nine i'm plus five thousand dollars if i sell it two times i'm plus ten grand to the organization and you can see very quickly as a multiplier because for example i sold an italian package uh package to italy this was in the fall season uh, last year, and I sold it six times. And so you can see very quickly that we had a five we had a five thousand dollars profit range on that. So that was an additional thirty thousand dollars that came into the organization in under three minutes. Not and only that, best, but you, not only that, but you had you told sold it a total of how many times? Six times. We sold it six times. Six times. You've got six happy, happy supporters who are all able to get the trip oh, to really? Italy, and that, that is enormous. Yeah, and that, that's what we talk about, too. I mean, you, you have six happier bidders, right, than you would even if you had one high bidder who paid maybe another an extra 1000 or 2000 Now you have six happier bidders because they paid less for the same item than they would have paid if they would have stuck it out. Not only that, but you've got $25,000 in potential. If you only sold that once, you made your profit of $5,000. But what about the other five people would have willingly given your charity a $5,000 profit? That's $25,000 that you haven't been able to extract from that room, and that money's going to walk right out the door at the end of the night. So really something to think about. Renee, uh, I'd like you to talk for a moment about underwriters. Define that term for us and, uh, and just explain how that can work with consignment. Well, I really love my underwriters and my sponsors. Underwriters are typically premier sponsors that are looking at underwriting and covering costs of an event. Uh, for me as a professional benefit auctioneer, I always recommend securing sponsors uh, for the live auction, for technology, and also for consignment. Now, on a smaller scale, for school events, faith-based organizations that have guests typically under 300, you know, I look to being able to secure consignment packages and having them underwritten by a family, a couple, a realtor, a business person within the community. Because instead of just saying, I'd like, a, I'd like to get a check for you for $5,000, for a return on investment, if they sponsor a package or they sponsor a service the night of the event, whether that's valet uh, technology, meaning check-in, check-out, accounting services, uh, an auctioneer and professional ringmen, consignment packages, or the prizes for the raffle. Because keep in mind, consignment packages do not necessarily have to be live auction items. They are very, very successful for raffles as well. Raffles are amazing times uh, to have consignment packages, and then we enjoy that. But again, looking to have someone secure it. So it's like if you are, instead of just saying, I'd like for you to be a $5,000 sponsor of my gala, and the first thing they say is, well, what do I get for that? Well, in, in lieu of a table or in lieu of an ad, uh, you're going to be our, you're going to sponsor our Hawaiian package. 
for the live auction. And so your name is going to be in all of our marketing material and social media and print and in the program and on the screen the night of the event and announced by the auctioneer and the MC that you are the underwriter for the Hawaiian package. And that's huge because it's getting them engaged in the process. It's also educating our supporter because he's going to be there the night of the event. This is your package. And how many times have I had someone who has actually sponsored a consignment trip actually buy the trip? It's hysterical. I've had it, I've sold it multiple times at a sponsor's table because they knew the package better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Many times we'll allow a sponsor to actually pick the trip they want to buy for the organization. That's a win-win as well. And so, you know, we just have fun with it. That's the whole idea is to have fun while fundraising. Exactly. It's it's so important to create excitement in the crowd. Uh, One of the things that uh, I have seen uh, quite a bit, as I'm sure you have, Renee, is where organizations, you talked about using the consignment packages like the the ones that Winspire offer uh, in your raffle. Uh, I've seen it happen increasingly where they're giving the raffle winner a choice of three of these big experiences. Mm -hmm. So now that's very exciting when you can buy a $100 raffle ticket on a chance to take your choice of a trip to south south of France uh, or to Italy. Uh, or to Hawaii, uh, and uh, so, yeah, just generates an awful lot of excitement. So, yeah, I, too, am a big believer in the consignment. I think it's great. I want to talk to you real quick. Uh, silent auctions, when should we close the silent auctions? Before you go in for dinner, if you're not utilizing mobile bidding technology. If you're utilizing mobile bidding, mobile bidding technology, then I would say that you can leave it open uh, even when the live auction is running. But, again, that's based upon a manageable size, silent auction. Typically, I always encourage my uh, clients that when we go from pre-function to function, meaning leaving uh, you know, our cocktail hour and being seated or moving into another area to continue the evening's program, is to have those assets consolidated, bundled, sacked, and in, in lot number, package number, order for pickup and be ready for that. Many people have asked, you know, again, it's about statistics, and and I'm a strong believer in those numbers. And so when we look at a cross-pollinization of all sizes of events, and we did it with 1,000 nonprofit fundraising events with guests ranging from 200 to 1,000, is that typically a bid sheet, if you're doing manual bid sheets, you want it designed to where your fair market value bid is achieved within eight lines and on one page. And in mobile bidding technology, you look to having the correct denominations as well. But with a, the, you're allowed to open that silent auction up to two weeks in advance of your special event. So you may actually come into the night of the event and be at fair market value with the majority of your assets. So it's allowing us to close the silent auction down sooner. So I'm, 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 taking ma- it, I'm taking it then if you're talking uh, – Using the eight-line silent auction paper bid sheet, if you're if you're still on paper, keeping it to eight lines, you are recommending pre-printed bid increments on the sheets. Then, obviously, yes. so you're stepping that that value up. So, just explain uh, to our listeners what those numbers would look like. Give us an example. Supposing so that the fair average, market value, supposing fair market value of an item on the silent auction is a hundred dollars, you're going to have eight lines, and so your opening bid then is going to be what twenty bucks. Is that right? We typically do. We typically try to do our opening bids within 20 to 30 percent of fair market value. And so the idea is that if we were to open it at 20 to 25 dollars is then, you know, within several steps, we would be at the hundred dollar value. So the idea is if you were doing ten dollar increment increases and you did an opening bid of twenty five, you see where you would exceed to one hundred and five dollars on the eighth line. Many people look to guaranteed bids. I do not encourage that, whether that's uh, with manual bid sheets or with mobile bidding technology, because if somebody is inclined to do a guaranteed bid, even if you did it at 150% of what you believe to be fair market value, there's there's something amiss because it's going to be an item that's going to immediately be bought. It's typically hard to find uh, special event tickets. Uh, chef experiences and things that should have never you want a bidding war at that point you don't want it to uh, to end at 150 percent because for example taylor swift billy joel james taylor you know i had a client that had a guaranteed bids on every bid sheet but those tickets and in it and they were going they were like oh we'll just do it for 300 percent 
And I said, you'll leave money on the table. And in the end, they, they, they honored my request after I pushed very hard uh, not to do guaranteed bids. And in the end, these tickets exceeded um, anyone's expectations on what they could have uh, brought. Matter of fact, two of them we ended up having to take to the live um, just to, to hammer it out to where there would be no hurt feelings. But to me, again, you know, opening 25 to 30 percent, get your increments set to where in eight bids that you would be at or above fair market value on those packages and, and just be mindful because people are busy. You know, you want people in your pre you know, in your cocktail pre dinner function to be networking and visiting and advocating and welcoming, you know, new and seasoned guests alike. And so the idea of them having to hover over a bid sheet that has the wrong increments or something is amiss with it, whether that's on phone or not. But you want it to be where when people walk into dinner, that the revenue has been maximized. Your volunteers can take care of the staging and preparation for fulfillment that they need to do. Because the later that you were, everyone thinks, oh, if I leave it open later, it doesn't help. The only time I ask my clients to leave a, a silent auction open while we're running the live is because we need those people to be on their phones and playing with their phones. And if they're not hashtagging to our event or on Instagram, taking pictures of our event, I don't want them to leave the room. We still want that energy. We still want the bodies and the seats, uh, but I want them to be engaged in something electronically and not conversation. What are the hot auction items going to be? In 2018, what are you seeing trending out there? We've talked about uh, travel consignment, but uh, let's drill down a little deeper and be a little more specific maybe. Uh, Where are the hot destinations if we're talking consignment travel? And uh, if we're talking uh, other items, what might those be? What are you seeing for the upcoming year? You know what? We always love hot and cold, so beach and mountains. Uh, Now we're seeing more people looking to unique experiences. It depends, again, on the demographics that are attending your event. What is really trending and continues to trend are uh, chef events, meaning that a chef prepares a meal in your home or in a designated host home uh, paired with wine, and those are typically uh, organically grown by a host committee that handles those. Those are, those are amazing. So any kind of chef experience, kitchen table in a nice restaurant, um, you know, we're seeing more and more again about experiences, one-on-one opportunities. You know, our school events is still is the hot first to pick up. Uh, parking spaces for your senior, parking space for pickup if your your child is a minor and not driving. You know, anything that involves the priest, the bishop. Um, you know, it's interesting for one of the charities that I serve on. I'm the treasurer of the board. I actually host a gala kickoff party in my home now. Uh, for that, and I invite 50 of my friends that support the cause. They invite uh, typically one to two couples, and uh, from that, we will visit with them to see about what they would like to see at our next event. Uh, you know, any kind of customized experience, and it can be so simple a tour of a professional sporting stadium that's tied into tickets uh, to see that particular team. You know, it's really about outreach. You know, one of the things that I can provide uh, to our listeners is a list of donors that have provided uh, free experiences, gift cards, experiences, and it may give you ideas. And uh, but that's just a simple email to me at Renee at ReneeJones.com, and we can pop that out from my office. We're updating it this week, but it has about 400, 500 proven regional and national firms in the United States. Uh, that have donated to our nonprofits in the last nine months. And so it's nice to see it because ultimately that list gives you an idea of who to, who to reach out to within your own community as well. But, you know, my top five uh, for the year on trips, this is going to be my 2018. So 2018 is going to be Italy. It, it will be uh, destinations in Asia. It will be staycations, meaning three days, uh, extended holidays in the city or within a three-hour drive of where you live. Uh, New York will always be popular because New York is New York. Napa will always be Napa because it's Napa. Uh, But how do you integrate and change? You know, I strongly encourage people to support uh, Sonoma and Napa County because of the fires. They're back. They need our tourist dollars. They The consignment packages to that corner of the world 
are very affordable, highly popular, and very well received by audiences of all sizes. So to me, you know, I look at what's happening at home. How can I have a great weekend with my partner or spouse or my kids? It's all about discovery, experiences, and creating memories that you'll have for a lifetime. All right. What's the crazy? I'm going to ask you one one last question question here before we uh we cut you loose and let you get back to to business what is the craziest thing you've ever sold in a live auction the silence you hear is not poor editing of this podcast (laughs) it it is actually of me instantly thinking of three things that i have sold in the last year and for audiences that you would never think that i would sell them in front of so i have sold a um, master's package that involved a vasectomy. Mm -hmm. I have sold a a group Botox party that was tied to the Oscars. I have sold private and group pole dancing lessons that brought about eight grand. It was uh, interesting. Um, I never was, I was not prepared and I still thinking back to it. And in 32 years of being a professional benefit auctioneer, was not prepared for the demonstration that was provided to the audience. Um, but it was very tasteful, but it, it became quite a little party. Uh, but, you know, unique is usually something that I just strongly uh, push back on. And when I, when I have to just uh, lick my wounds and back up and know that this is going to happen whether I want it or not, then I'm 110 vested in it. And I am ready to sell it. Uh, these were all successful packages, but again, um, it, it never. You know, I always say the same thing: you're going to offend somebody. And while some people say, "Well, you know, I'm just numb to that word," is that you have to be mindful to the people that attend this special event. These are individuals and corporations that want to spend time and support uh, organizations that have, share their same value systems. And also that they want to support year round. So you never want a guest to leave an event shell shocked. So I always try to say that you avoid anything that involves medical. Even even on the silent auction, I don't want to see orthodontics, and I'm really not a fan of uh, photography because we all know those are upsell. And so you know you just have to look to keeping it the middle of the road. There's some things that sure you can wink wink and have a little bit of fun with. Uh, but, you know, I always just try to be mindful of would I want my organization to would I want a newspaper publication or a society page to discuss what I'm selling in a live auction if it's off color? And the answer should be no. I right. mean, our goal should be to best represent our organizations. And you have to be mindful of a lot of things. You know, if you're if you're servicing a family shelter service. You know, and you look to to gambling and alcohol, you have to think, how does this tie into the mission and vision of my organization? But that's a conversation themes for another one of our podcasts. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. You have such a wealth of knowledge. You're just a delight to uh, interview and can't thank you enough for sharing time with us, uh, Renee. Just before we do let you go, I just one question came to mind. And if you can answer this as quickly as possible, don't be afraid, girl, to take a breath uh, in the middle here when you're answering this one. When you're selling t- table sales, uh, wh- how do you coach your uh, organizations, your nonprofits, to do table sales so that you're not winding up with the owner of a business purchasing a table and then putting those tickets back by the employee in the in the coffee room and just inviting employees to go help themselves to tickets to a free chicken dinner? How do you get around that one? I think it's, I think it's very important. It's really about pre-education and what the organization, what their expectations are for a table purchase. And many people I encourage and I draft for my clients is a letter, you know, from the very beginning of what are our goals for the evening? What are our financial goals? And what are we looking to in the coming year? And why it is important uh, for them to attend and invite guests that can support Uh, the organization. And for many organizations, I draft it to where it goes as far as discussing the fund and need goals for the evening, meaning that, you know, we appreciate your $5,000 table purchase. You know, our goal is to secure an additional $500 per guest the night of the event 
to ensure the funding for this program. And so the idea is that we want to set up, and sometimes we challenge, we've had games uh, and challenges that, you know, from tables that have secured the most money during a fund in need, that they would receive a gift or a bottle of champagne on the table, some form of recognition post-event. Uh, but there's many ways that you can, you know, secure uh, the right people. But again, it is about communication and it is about explaining. I There's two rules for me is that I say you never put your tables on sale. There, there's never an early bird discount to a gala because you're you're diminishing the mission and vision of your organization and your goals for the night. If you're already if you've already got a Groupon in play before you've even tried to sell tickets, there's a problem before we get started. So we need to maintain ticket prices. We need to be very clear and what is uh, awarded at each level for the purchases that they make. And then we follow it up with ensuring that we have the right people. And then on the nonprofit side, as they're receiving guest names, I train my clients and my staff to go through that guest list and hit the LinkedIn account, look at the social media accounts, and know from my top sponsor underwriting, most expensive tables right down to, you know, the, if my tickets are $200 and it's a table for 10 my $2,000 table, guess, who are these people and who is my audience? Because it's very important to understand the demographic of the room before we get started. It will dictate how we conduct the ask. It will dictate the order of the auction and how we look to um, statistically ensure a very strong revenue stream during that portion of the program. All right. Very good. Well, we are now out of time, Renee. I wish we had more time, but we'll definitely be having you back as a repeat guest here on Events with Benefits. Uh, Renee Jones, the founder of National Fundraising Solutions. Ian? Yeah, no, you should see this uh, this page of notes here that, that Danny has been scribbling down. And lots, of, uh, lots of good, useful things. Um, and I just want to thank you, Renee, for coming on today. It's been great. Well, I absolutely appreciate the invitation, and I look forward to assisting you and your team at any time in the future. Now, Renee, if anybody uh, wants to uh, touch base with you, we'll have your contact information in the show notes. And uh, do you have any special offers or uh, takeaways for our listeners here today? You know what? We're working right now on updating our webinar schedule. So if they'd like to drop me an email at Renee at ReneeJones.com. That's Renee, R-E-N-E-E at ReneeJones.com. I conduct seminars across the country year-round. And uh, if they mention that they they heard it on this podcast, they'll have a free entry for them and their guests into it. We discuss best practices for special events, uh, donor relations, sustained giving, grant writing. We cover the gamut that any CFRE or someone that is in development of, um, expi- aspiring to become CFRE would want that because all these hours qualify for it. All right, very good. Today's special guest, Renee Jones. Uh, Continued good selling, Renee, and we'll see you at the next Benefit Auctioneer Summit uh, uh, wherever and whenever that happens to be. So take care and have a great year. Absolutely, take care. Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time.